Hey, I'm Nat Krug. Um, I'm a paramedic. I'm a Fremantle resident. Been here for about 17 years. And I consider myself a sand grober. <laughs> um, how I came to be in Perth, I followed a girl. As you do. Well, as I do. <laughs> quite often. <laughs> it's got me to quite a lot of places. Um, but this one I actually married. This was... So I've been married once before to lovely Shelly. Hi, Shelly. And <laughs> she's a beautiful uh, English-Israeli girl that I met in London. And her mum was one of the 10-pound poms. I have a feeling that it was literally they would... It was an incentive to get people to immigrate to Australia uh, from England, and they'd give them 10 quid. And, um, and maybe it wasn't 10 quid, but that's what they, they then became, 10, 10 pound palms for these people that were incentivized to come and land in Perth and Australia and make them make it their home. And two, I think I landed in 2005. And at that time, we were engaged, and we got married here. And, yeah, I was a pro-kai surfer at the time, and we had quite a lot of fun. Uh, we'd travel the world, and I'd go and of my house off in Egypt or the Philippines and, and I thought that would be me for life but um, I found there's actually other stuff to do and Perth was quite a good place to do it um, so we got married by it was quite cool actually we got married in an airfield somewhere in the hills and then jumped out of a plane in our jumpsuits the idea was that the celebrant would come up with us jumpsuit and all be quite symbolic that we'd get married in the plane, so we'd leave as you know, fiancés and then land as a united couple. And the celebrant took one look at this plane, which was held together with duct tape. And he was like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so Shelley and I got married on the, on the ground next to the plane, went up and, yeah, took that literal leap of faith. And here I am, what, 17 years later and... Happily divorced, and yeah, as you can tell, it was a great success. <clears throat> no, it is a success because we're still great friends, and that's uh, friendship wins. Oh, Shelley was definitely a, a great love, and I wonder if <clears throat> you can have a great love. It just seems, I suppose, alien to me, but again, only because I haven't experienced it that much that. You can have that level of love and respect and devotion to someone and that turn to something that's sort of bitter. And, and I, I do understand it. Um, and like I sort of haven't experienced it. But I think that says, without being you know, too big, big-headed about it, in the sense I think you choose. It's definitely a choice. And... Like I've fortunately again through teachings from others and lessons that I've learned that respect comes, I suppose, is foremost paramount in in those in any kind of relationship. In my communication that might not have been brilliant, we certainly made mistakes, and and even though things happen in that relationship, which could a lot of people might say, oh. How come you guys are still friends? It's crazy. 
And it comes down to forgiveness. And it comes down to deciding, well, I don't want to carry that around. It's heavy. You know, why would I want to have that burden for 20, 30, 40 years, the rest of my life? And once you realize that and you, you, know, you discard it, oh, you feel so light and, and then anything's possible. So the fact that Shelley and I are friends, you know, it, it took time. It took probably about a year. Um, and, and you need to take that time. You need to remove yourself from the situation. You need to find time and space to process and then hopefully to be able to forgive. And there's, you know, you're not going to forget. That's not, you, you know, the things that happened happened, but forgiving and letting go again. My life is one big cliche. Uh, it is a cliche, but it's absolutely true. So if I could yeah, impart any pearls of wisdom, it would be that you've just got to decide how much weight you want to carry through life. I'll tell you what is just a Perth thing, and that is urban sprawl. Oh, I'm sure it's not just a Perth thing, but it's just one of those things that, um, and I can sort of see why there's all this space. It's like an untapped resource, but it's also an in very, it's not a, it's a finite resource, and we keep pushing north, and everyone wants to live on the beach and wants that sort of quarter block at least. And that's unsustainable. That's, uh, that's just nonsense. I think it's a bit selfish, to be honest. Um, I don't think it's very smart. Um, I think it just spreads us all out. I'm just a big believer in sort of more condensed living and smarter living, um, bringing everything kind of closer. Um, and that, but that means a massive readjustment in our psyche around, or psyche around how we travel around the city, you know, our public transport's just ridiculous. Um, and this there's a sort of snobbery around it too, which is just, if you go to any big city in the world, you can, everyone's on public transport. It's not a, it's here, it's just, transport, what's wrong with you? Um, so that, that is a cultural thing, uh, which is odd, because we're just, you know, a bunch of convicts in some ways. Um, so I don't know where we've got this sort of, uh, you know, reverse snobbery from. Um, but no, I'd love I'd love to see that sort of change. And I think it's there are definitely people who are kind of trying to push that agenda, if you will. Um, but it's a, I think it's a good and positive agenda. And there's there's lots of changes I think that are slowly coming, and that's one of the things that does seem to take a while here in Perth. And just everything just seems to take longer, and things filter in slower. But hey, if we can make some of the best coffee in the world, so obviously we we you know got our priorities right. So this is the longest I've been anywhere, so it must have a few of the things that I feel I need. There's a unique accessibility to some of the things that I love anyway, which is nature and the outdoors. I spend a lot of time in the ocean, whether it's kite surfing or free diving, boats, spearfishing, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that I can, whether I, whether I was living up in North Beach or here in Frio, I can go less than... A kilometer, and suddenly I'm seeing dolphins. And this kind of, literally just the other day, I jumped on my bike and I was cruising down the river, and the dolphins just popped up next to me. But then I'm a little hipster at heart, and I want good coffee and cafes and interesting little spots. And um, I don't want to line up too long to be able to get into a club or a bar or a restaurant so you can do all that and still get the quality. 
Um, although we are still a little bit of a small town, sometimes in mentality, we've still actually got quite a lot of different communities from around the world. So I don't know if you've noticed there's a massive Brazilian community. I had some lovely Brazilians living with me. Uh, I do have some Brazilian friends and even did some capoeira for a while. And what I mean to say is that it is, it's not just your middle class Brits, you know, in Harpen, June, Lopen. There's a lot of different uh, people around us, so that satisfies uh, partly my need to you know, meet people from different parts of the world and stuff. So, And that's one thing I think is getting better too, whereas when I first got here, as so I was into kite surfing or I was in motorcycling or I was, um, I don't know, coffee, whatever it might be, and it would seem that almost those worlds didn't overlap. Like if you're a kite surfer, you're a kite surfer, and you just hung out with kite surfers and your bikes, that'd be that world. Um, so I have a, certainly when I first arrived, I had a lot of different friend groups and they not, might not necessarily overlap, which is kind of weird. I'm sure that happens quite often if you have a diverse range of interests and things that you do. But I found that's, again, that's sort of improving as people get... I think once, when I first arrived, people would identify themselves with whatever group it was and they would sort of stick to that kind of quite doggedly. And I think people are sort of getting better at that, that they're, you know, you can do more than one thing and be more than one thing and that kind of stuff. So I think the, definitely I've noticed that change over the, over the years. So whether it be my freediving or my paramedic friends or, yeah, there's a lot of overlap now. Um, I, I don't know if that's a me thing, but I've just noticed that, yeah, my friend groups are merging. Yeah, I think as some people see my videos and they see the stuff that I free dive under and into, and they're just like, what are you doing? It's, and people get uncomfortable watching it. Um, what got me into it is there's a lovely there's a lovely scene i suppose around uh free diving uh, a lot of it has to do with meditation and yoga so the sort of type of people that are drawn to it like you meet a lot of environmentalists and ecologists and people who are interested in sustainability and um, that kind of thing and those are people that i identify with and have a lot of time for and and work alongside and that kind of stuff project that we do every year Seeds for Snappers, which is a f um, seagrass restoration project, and it's free divers and divers, but it's just these people who just care about the environment that they live in and work in. You know, that it's a local project um, volunteered by local people and stuff like that. So, um, but then on a more personal level, it's a it's quite a challenge, personal challenge, I suppose, to be able to get over certain fears and limitations. Um, and then once you're down there, there's a real sense of freedom. And there's, I get it with kite surfing too. You don't, you're not thinking about anything else. You just shut everything out and you're just in that. This is a lovely way to be very present. So it's a kind of meditation. And pushing myself for like, how, how much deeper can I go? How much deeper? I mean, there are people going to over 130, 140 meters. I mean, I'm only a 
33 meter free diver. I think that's part of the, the, that process that I'm talking about of just meeting that challenge. And you don't do it in day one. So you just slowly build up to that. Uh, and again, it's not something you do by yourself either. So you're reliant on people and your, your safety buddy and buddies and the people around you to get you to those depths and sort of situations. So there's that sort of community and trust. And when I made some really you know, deep friendships through freediving um, and traveled too. And then when I meet people, say I spent you know, a week in Thailand just purely freediving last year and I'm still in touch with all those people. People travel from Germany to visit you know, here because we've created such close bonds and then off to Croatia in a few weeks and do more freediving, go even deeper, make even more friends. It's going to be amazing. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's not just uh, going deep. It's just everything that goes along with it. And I still get nervous before I go out. But it's, I think it probably used to be fear. And then there's a really fine line between that sort of fear, anxiety, nervousness, excitement. It's just sort of a real little spectrum. And I suppose in some ways you're right. It's about mastering that or identifying it differently or framing it differently. It's not that I'm looking for new ways to you know, scare the pants off myself, you know. Um, there are certain things that I absolutely love. I don't want to necessarily – I don't really enjoy climbing much anymore. Um, and there's certain definitely terrifying things I just don't want to do, not because they're scary, but they just don't hold an interest for me. So it's not necessarily about um, overcoming fear. There are certain interests that I have which are sort of wrapped up or layered in the sort of passions that I have. So free diving is not just about going deep and um, overcoming that sort of fear. It's about accessing a, a place that's super special and different and magical and, and all the feelings that go along with that, that I suppose are more powerful than the feelings of fear or anxiety. You know, when you when I when I'm down there, when I'm going through this tiny little cave at 20 meters that I can barely fit through, the fear takes a sort of second place to the wonder and the the, the feeling of the actually that rather nice feeling of sort of pressure and the chance of seeing an octopus or a shark or something like that. It's just those things, and the same with the the, the adrenaline, the sheer joy of riding my motorcycle. You know. 200Ks an hour, and that feeling of euphoria and excitement is greater than the fear that comes along with it. So I suppose that's what that is, rather than looking for fear for the, or overcoming fear just for the sake of fear. I think I took a very different trajectory in life quite early on, and it's not so much about finding exciting youthful, energetic things to do. I think it was about bucking the societal trend, I suppose, just doing things in a different order. Well, certainly early early on realizing that you didn't have to conform to this sort of very, and I think it still permeates today quite heavily, this sort of time-oriented success 
uh, treadmill that we all seem to be on, or, or a lot of people do, of going to school, going to your career, getting that partnership, popping out the kids, all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, I was lucky enough that at 16 I left school and went out to work and was living by myself. And I think it made me realize that one doesn't have to do it in the sort of time frame that everyone seems to expect that um, of you. And also that you can, you can kind of start again whenever. Like the amount of different careers I've had and how many different starts in life I've, I've had. I think it's looks-wise, genetics has I've been very lucky, but I, I like to think that even if, even if I don't look 51, I'd still feel how I feel now, you know, and I'd be doing the same sort of things. I think, I don't, I think the two certainly aren't connected. I'd like to think that I would have left school at 16 anyway and just followed this really sort of fascinating, exciting, adventurous life. Lived all over the world and done a million things and and sort of enjoyed them all. And I think that's the probably the key to not feeling the sort of passage of time is, and it sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, is being present and really enjoying what's, what's going on now rather than thinking, oh, I should be at this stage or what have I achieved by now? Does that fit the expectation of those around me? It's such a false narrative and it just leads to disappointment and frustration and, and I'm just glad I learned that lesson really early on. <laughs>